Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, a special one-hour edition of Bookmarked, the Under the Radar book club. Today, saving bookstores. The words on the signs are pointed. Please don't make a $1.6 trillion company even richer. Another reads, buy books from people who want to sell books, not from people who want to colonize the moon. Like Lord Voldemort, Harry Potter's nemesis, the company that shall not be named is Amazon, the behemoth box store squeezing all small businesses, especially independent bookstores. Hundreds of independent bookstores have closed their doors for good, one a week according to a recent survey by the American Booksellers Association. But some local bookstores, like Roxbury's Frugal Bookstore, got critical help from a GoFundMe campaign. And the goal was $20,000. And within 19 hours, people donated $20,000. And I think within 48, 48 hours, within two days, we reached $42,000. That was Leonard Edgerton of the Frugal Bookstore in Roxbury's Nubian Square. Later in the show, independent bookstores across the country band together to fight back. Bookshop.org, a national independent bookstore marketplace, launched before the pandemic. But first, joining me remotely, three local bookstore owners. Christina Champa, owner of the All She Wrote Bookstore in Assembly Square, Somerville. Welcome, Christina. Hi, Carly. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm glad to have you. Kate Late, owner of Paper Cuts in Jamaica Plain. Hello, Kate. Hello, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. And also with me, Matt Tannenbaum, owner of The Bookstore in Lenox, Massachusetts. Hi, Matt. Hello, Kelly. Great to be here with you all. Well, I'm delighted to have all of you. Let's jump right in. Now, what's interesting is that Americans are reading and buying more books, but a lot of that traffic has been going um, through Amazon, um, much to the frustration of folks like yourselves. You each have different longevities in the business of selling books. So, Christina, I'm going to start with you because you opened your bookstore a little over a year ago, um, and I'd love you to talk about what business was like then and then what it's been like after COVID hit. Yeah, so we actually started our bookstore as a pop-up. So we would go to businesses throughout the community and um, markets and pop-up ultimately. So we were only in the market like certain days a week and certain times of the day. We also had e-commerce as well. When we went into 2020, we had opportunity to open up a brick and mortar right before COVID hit. And um, we were supposed to open on May 1st, and that clearly didn't happen. (laughs) So we, um, you know, so after COVID hit, we really, e-commerce was our biggest thing. And that was something that 
we focused on heavily and then also connecting our commu- uh, with our community um, online as well as much as possible. So creating as many touches as we could was really the biggest thing for us to keep going and to allow us to come into the store when we were able to, which was the end of May, to open shop and do it safely. And we had that opportunity by still doing one pop-up that we started back in May with East Somerville Main Streets, which is a local nonprofit here in Somerville that helps the small businesses in this community. Christina Champa, she's from All She Wrote in uh, Somerville. Kate, late, your store is six years old. Paper Cuts is in Jamaica Plain. What was the business like before you had a little bit more established business than Christina had and after COVID hit? Sure. So last December, we were still at 5 Green Street, which was our our original location, which was very tiny, only around 400 square feet. And I had just signed a new lease to move to a location triple the size in January of 2020. So we had a fantastic December last year, but it was a really strange one because I was also packing up the store completely, getting ready to move. And actually, I had a lot of help from panelist Christina, and I'm so thankful for her help last December. But things have shifted wildly this year, of course, right? We had to shut down our stores for months, not seeing people. We were planning a grand opening for Independent Bookstore Day, which is traditionally the last Saturday of April, but of course that was canceled this year. We shipped it online first, completely relying on bookshop.org, which was so, so wonderful that they launched the time that they did. And there's absolutely no reason for anyone to ever buy a book on Amazon. Again, they can get what they need either through their independent or through bookshop. But we pivoted a lot. Now we're open by appointment and we also allow walk-ins up to our small capacity. And it's people need books now more than ever. They need human connection now more than ever. And it's been hard this year. We're all really tired, but books are what we need, I think, to get us through this winter. That is Kate Late, owner of Paper Cuts in Jamaica Plain. Matt Tannenbaum, same question to you. Uh, What was business like? And by the way, you've been in business for 43 years. So what was business like before and after COVID? Carrie, the last year, was it 2019? I can't even remember what year it was. (laughs) Yes. was one of the best years we've had because business has been holding steady and, and, and rising over the over the years. We have a, a terrific local population most of the year, and then in the summertime, it's the big tourist season out here in the Berkshires, uh, Tanglewood, Jacobs Pillow, Shakespeare and Company, and all. So it was a booming year. And then COVID hit, and I was sitting in the store, and my kids came in the store. I have two grown daughters, and they said, Dad, you have to close down. I'm I'm an older guy, so I, had to, I I shut down the next day, and then in early April we opened up again for curbside, and I realized that I was just not in the mood to open up again at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, business went down, down, down. It went down. It was rising in in early 2020, and then the bottom dropped out, and by the middle of the summer I realized I had maybe two nickels to rub together, or maybe just one to rub against itself. And that's when we did the GoFundMe. All right. Well, you led me right to my next question, uh, Matt. For all of you, did GoFundMe. 
And what I hear and what many of you have expressed is that what's really important uh, for an independent bookstore is your connection to your customers. So so this GoFundMe campaign actually was a large expression of those connections and, and that connection that you have with your customers. Christina, tell me about doing the GoFundMe and what it meant at the time that you had it and, and what it has meant in terms of keeping your doors open. So we actually did our GoFundMe through iFundWomen, which is a organization similar to GoFundMe, but um, it's specifically for women entrepreneurs. We actually had our crowdfunder in hopes of opening the brick and mortar in 2020. Um, so it was actually in late 2019. And I guess one of the most beautiful things about it, and even now, is just the people that show up every time the community that just consistently shows up every single time has been the best thing out of this whole entire situation. And even with the GoFundMe is that they wanted to see a feminist queer bookstore here in Boston and they knew that there needed to be one. And so throwing that support behind us was huge and allowed for us to really open our doors without going into debt in May of this year, which is huge. And what has been keeping us going really is, you know, funds from that that we saved that we were very uh, conservative with in 2019 to then pull over into 2020 so that we had a nest egg available for us in case, you know, we had another shutdown or something else occurred where we needed to access those funds. That support allowed us to fulfill our dream, but at the same time also ensure that we were financially secure, which is extremely important as a business that's starting almost new from a brick-and-mortar perspective. Well, you're pretty new, even, I mean, yeah. you know, just about a year, a little over a year. You're still, you're still pretty new. I am still pretty new. <laughs> yes. Kate Lay, same question to you. What did that GoFundMe experience uh, mean for you in terms of understanding the connection you had with your customers and also allowing you to do your business? Yeah, Callie, it's such a good question. Community is everything that we're doing. And Matt said something and went that he didn't have more than one penny to rub together. And I found myself in the same place in, in March when I'd spent all my money that I'd had over the last holiday season in 2019 on moving this door, on getting new inventory, on all of my expenses. And I realized if I didn't have sales coming in, I did not know how to, I was able to feed myself, pay my rent, pay my staff, anything. And realizing that what we'd been building was something larger in the community and asking for help, I think, is wildly hard to do. It's, I was inspired by what other stores were doing, but the problem with independent book selling is that we run on really razor thin margins on good years and to have sales completely stop just was so frightening. And I was so determined. I just moved to this beautiful new place. I needed to make it work. I knew the community needed a bookstore. And just to see so, so many people step up so quickly, I it, it was emotional. I, I, I'm just beyond filled with gratitude. And the interactions have been strange this year with customers, but um, there's it's, it's strong and stronger in a different way. And I'm just eternally thankful for the communities we're all building. Mm-hmm. Matt Tannenbaum, same thing. I understand you were quite shocked at uh, the support. <laughs> uh, you just thought you were going to end up closing your doors, and, and um, you're just very surprised by that community support. 
I think I've been working with my imagination all these years. I couldn't imagine not doing it. So I, I reached out to a friend with a GoFundMe, and we put it together. And like the other your other bookseller earlier in the show, uh, we hit our goal in about 23 hours of $60,000. And uh, one of my customers made a big sign that I was able to put up outside saying something like, can my gratitude be great and humble at the same time? Well, it is. Thank you, Lennox, for saving the bookstore. And this is this is a bookstore that's been here for, as you know, all these all these for over forty something years. One of the things that was really surprising about the GoFundMe was the kids, the the, the youngsters, I should say, who who grew up in the town and grew up coming to the bookstore and getting their books through the local high school through the bookstore. And uh, maybe they didn't realize it at the time, and they didn't want to read those books. But you know, when those kids came back uh, for Thanksgiving vacation or Christmas vacation from from college, the first place they'd come is the bookstore because they remembered that this was a place where they had gotten that that introduction to what they were what they were learning now out in the world. And they now have all gone out into into different places in the world. So I was getting GoFundMe donations from people I didn't know because they were telling their friends and their neighbors and their roommates and their 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 colleagues in, at work that the bookstore that they had grown up coming to needed help. So all, all my thank yous had to go to these strangers. And it was lovely to do that as well. I still owe some thank yous, <laughs> about 400 of them. That's a nice problem to have, I would say. <laughs> uh, if you're just tuning in, this is a special one-hour edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar book club, Saving Bookstores. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are three local bookstore owners, Christina Champa of Somerville's All She Wrote, Kate Late of Jamaica Plains Paper Cuts, and Matt Tannenbaum of Lennox's The Bookstore. We're discussing the challenges of keeping independent bookstores open and thriving. And that's my next question to all of you. What's the biggest challenge? I have to say, I was a little surprised to know that most independent bookstores, I'm making a big old generalization, but this is from what I've read, and you can correct me. And Kate, I'm going to start with you so you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we're really uh, more reliant on in-person book buying. That, yeah, they did a little online, but that wasn't really the center of you know, how they got uh, revenue uh, for the store. And so this was a shock, really, to go from almost all e-commerce. Was that your experience? Oh, absolutely. We did not sell books online. I mean, we had a website to contact us so we could sell books in the store or, or ship them if we needed to. But 95% of our business was customers coming in to our store and buying what we had on the shelves. And then to completely pivot, I think bookshop.org launched at a perfect time where a lot of us didn't have the capacity to build something from scratch because books are complicated. There's millions of them. And to be able to put those online immediately is not an easy task. So we've been experimenting and pivoting and changing our e-commerce as the years progressed. Um, and have been learning a whole lot. And it's now around at least half of our business is, is online right now. I would have never predicted that last year. Now, Christina, because you had not been open that long, did you have more emphasis on online than per perhaps maybe Matt might have had or even Kate? Yes. Yeah. So during the break between Christmas and New Year's last year, I pretty much hunkered down and created an entire inventory online and built our website currently from scratch. 
Um, in a previous life, I used to work as a marketing operations manager, and um, it's a specialty that I had. So it was easy for me to do. Once that was done, that really allowed for me once pop-ups. So as we were figuring out the store space, we were still doing pop-ups. And as soon as kind of Governor Baker was like, that's it, all non-essential retail needs to shut, that meant no pop-ups. So we were fortunate enough that we were able to shift beautifully into our e-commerce and really continuously build that with the process that we made last year. So we were extremely lucky. Did I have a magic crystal ball that told me, yes, you should dedicate your time to building your website now in 2019? No way. (laughs) But I'm very thankful that I had taken that time to do that because that really ultimately allowed for us to continue to exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matt, I know the Internet is not your friend necessarily. So so uh, you were definitely an in-person kind of place before this. And now you've had to make some changes. We put up a website some years ago, I don't know, five, ten years ago, and I didn't pay that much attention to it. And then this year we had to. Then, of course, the, the website crashed, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> that's what the gods tell us. And, and we're working on creating a new one right now. So we don't do any online sales. We do a website that enables people to get in touch with us. And I get mm-hmm. a lot of email orders and a lot of uh, phone orders that I take uh, at night at home and then transfer it to the system uh, when I get in the next day. So there's been a lot of attention to making people know that it makes a difference if you go to a local store as opposed to going through an Amazon. And there's quite a bit of interest. Uh, And there was more peaked interest uh, in the summer after George Floyd's death and interest in a certain kind of book uh, about uh, race and equity became very interested and people wanted to support independent bookstores and especially Black-owned ones. So here is Leonard Edgerton, one of the co-owners of Frugal Bookstore with his wife, Clarissa, talking about the sudden and dramatic increase of orders uh, for anti-racist books in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. Over the course of three to four days, folks had ordered between four and 5,000 copies of How to Be an Anti-Racist. So can you, can you imagine having over 20,000 orders? We did the best on Shopify than any business had online had done. And we had 20,000 plus orders, uh, probably 10,000 of them for books, titles that were on back order. And again, that's uh, Leonard Edgerton, who, with his wife, Clarissa, owns the Frugal Bookstore in Roxbury's Nubian Square. Now, he had a specific problem because they have a Black-owned bookstore, so people wanted to support them specifically for the independence and for the content that they usually carry and give them extra support. But it is also true that other bookstores, like yourselves, got more interest and special interest for people who were making a concerted effort to support you. And at the same time, they were faced with what Leonard and his wife Clarissa were faced with, which is back orders and not enough material. And I wonder how you were able to navigate navigate that with both your customers and just keeping the revenue flowing. I'll start with you, Matt. Did you have big issues with back orders? Yeah, we, we had the uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist in stock and sold out, you know, within a day or two after the interest started uh, rising. 
Some of the other titles, like uh, White Fragility, uh, went out of stock uh, from the, from Beacon Press, went out of stock, and we we took a lot of back orders. And our, our customers were very patient and waited for the for the back orders. Let me go to Christina. You have specialty books in your store as well, and and again, as I say all bookstores were being asked for this particular content, but have you had struggles around just getting back orders uh, filled? Absolutely, yeah. So since pretty much March, I would say, you know, back ordering was a constant. Um, and what was important for us to do was make was to make sure that we communicated to our readers and to our community that back orders are a thing. Um, it was almost like an education, if you will, in the sense of like book selling and the bookstore world, just reminding your community and your customers, patience is virtue. Being patient, explaining what's going on, being clear with your communications as much as possible, that really allowed for us not to have to refund customer orders uh, as much um, because people understood and were patient and were kind about it. The other thing that we did too um, is that we also made sure, like especially during over the summer with Black Lives Matter movement, really was to also recommend other books within that, you know, similar context or with that category. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So making mm-hmm. sure, like, you know, okay, we may not have white fragility, but did you ever take think about, so do you want to talk about race or me and white supremacy or uh, reading some Octavia Butler or some Audre Lorde, you know, really think, you know, right, expanding right. it from there is also really important as well. So we really harnessed that as well. Um, and also, you know, just reminding folks that there are others, other voices Um, And, Kate, one statistic that I think is interesting is that the Black Friday in-store sales were down 52 percent, but the e-commerce was up 22 percent, which I just want to give my listeners an understanding of what the pressure is then on independent businesses and bookstores, particularly if then you have a double back order from both the publishers and, you know, your ability to provide this material because you can't get it. Black Friday is not our holiday. Our holiday in independent stores is Small Business Saturday. And that was also our sixth anniversary this past Saturday. And we had our best sales day ever. And the thing wow, about great. back orders is, is just about what, what Christina and, and Matt were saying too, is there are a lot of voices and we are knowledgeable about our, our books and what we have on the, on the shelf. And what really helps us is by buying the books that we have and using our expertise um, in order for us to, to sell them to, to our, our readers and, and their loved ones. And that's also going to help save our carbon footprint as well. And by buying what we have and then having the patience um, to restock what's coming back, especially this holiday season, it's, we, we need to be reading the books on our shelves. And I think that's vital. So what is the biggest lesson you may have learned from this experience? It seems to me that as I hear all of you, what's coming through is what you guys have been saying in your messaging, which is, you know, independent bookstores really know you, the customer, and know books. And so if you really want to have a special and a personal experience, both for yourself and whomever else you may be buying a gift for during the holiday season, this is the way to go. Because if you go the other way, the 
the uh, Goliath way, <laughs> then you, you sort of have to know what you want and you don't have the serendipity of, of having an expansive experience. Kate, follow up with that if you would. Yeah, so something that we've been doing, we've launched a, a bookseller's choice, which is you can order three, six, or 12 paperbacks or hardcovers and tell us like what you've read, a few books that you've loved, a couple you've hated. And these are our favorite orders to fill because it allows us to sell, sell some books that may not have had all the publicity this year. So many books were published this year that did not have author tours. So many books that are just, um, I'm, I'm afraid for them this year. So being able to trust your bookseller, lean in on that and take chances with, with new authors and discover something special for yourself. Matt. The reader who comes in or, 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 or asks a question on the, on the phone or through an email, they know a lot also. And they, it's a great simpatico thing between the, the, the bookseller and the book reader. Emerson, Emerson said, it's the good reader who makes the good book. And in, in our case, or in, in everybody's case here, it's the good customer who makes the good bookstore. These customers trust us, trust our, our experience, and trust our knowledge. And, and sometimes they say, well, listen, I heard about this one also. What do you know about that? And I might have missed something, not being sloppy, but just might have missed something. And I'll, I'll find out who the publisher is. And that's a lot of the way that I recommend books by who the publisher is. Because I've been in it for, for a long time, and I kind of know, you know who's, who's putting out the schlock and who's putting out the really good stuff. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a, a give and take between the customer and the bookseller. And that has grown even now in the curbside, year, the curbside era. Okay, Christina. I think for us, the fact that we're still able to allow people to come in for in-store browsing appointments, um, it's that ability to connect in a way that sometimes is not doable through online and algorithms or whatever you want to say about the other that tries to guess what you like versus what you don't. While, yes, you have to be socially distant, wearing masks and other things, there is always something about that human connection, whether it's a curbside pickup, an in-store appointment, or even just a communication through email. There's a way that you're connecting with the customer, and that customer feels seen. That customer feels that you're acknowledging what they want to read or what you know they're looking for or trying to find that perfect gift for the holidays. We have, as bookstores, have the ability to really outfit customers with all different types of books and books that they would have never considered. I have this three-rule book thing. Um, if someone comes in or even uh, through email, I'll give them three recommendations, but then I'll th throw them a fourth one based on those recommendations, and it'll be a total curveball. It may be something they go for, or it may be something they completely are like, uh, no way. But this is just like a fun way of just connecting with people with them with books and different perspectives that I think is just you don't get that through an algorithm or the big guy called Amazon that you would get through that experience because no algorithm can replace the human experience, the human connection. And I think that's the most important thing we have to remember here and why independent bookstores like ours and others in this in the United States are just so important and abroad are just so important and vital to the community. 
So I want to um, close this conversation on upbeat notes. I'm going to begin with uh, Clarissa and Leonard Edgerton, co-owners of Boston's Frugal Bookstore, because as a result of GoFundMe and the and the renewed attention and people really focusing on independent bookstores like theirs and yours, um, they've been able to grow um, and see uh, what some of you have just mentioned, the support from the community. So here they are. Fortunately, we were able to, we've been able to hire one, two, three, four people. So now four people who were not employed are employed. Um, but there, there's a lot of support out there. There's a lot of people who want to support you, who want indie bookstores, small businesses, and businesses of color to, to, to make it, to survive. So in closing, tell me why and tell my listeners why bookstores and independent bookstores are essential businesses like a few others that we've been hearing about. Um, I'll start with you, Christina. So as a feminist queer bookstore, bookstores like ours, similar to also Frugal, which are niche independent bookstores, are important because they provide a safe space for those voices and nothing can re- nothing could ever like replace that or anything online could necessarily replace that. And knowing that there's a place to go and find yourself within the books on those shelves is just so amazingly beautiful and an experience that I think all of us as book lovers want. And so to me, All She Wrote Books is a place where we try to provide that every single day, both online and and in person. And I feel that um, having the opportunity to do that every single day is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Matt. Can I tell you a story? Uh, a couple of years ago, a mom and her three-year-old were leaving the store at the end of the day. And as they got up to the front desk, I heard a little girl, she's about three years old, says, Mama, why are we going? And her mother said, well, the man is closing. He's going home to have supper. And she nodded, and she took another step. Out, and then she looked up at her mother, and she said, I miss this place already. Aww. And that's, uh, you know, when we see that, when we experience that, this is... This is why we're here. This is, and this is going to be that child will have that experience somewhere deep in her consciousness, like we have all, like all the kids and 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 the grown-ups when they come in and they find something that really, really speaks to them. Speaks to when you open a book and you and you read a story. It's like the author. It's as if the author is talking to you alone, and that's a, a great way for you to. Oh, I'm in this world, and this and this person is telling me something directly to me that I want to know. And it's a lovely, lovely thing. This 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 world of books. I'm uh, like like my compatriots there. I wouldn't trade this for anything. Kate. Oh, I love what Matt just said so much. And I'm seeing children grow up and see that love for the store. But yes, books are essential. Reading is essential, and especially when we are not able to see everyone that we want to see when we're, it, it, now is the perfect time to really be reading and to really be connecting with, with these books that are, have been written just for us to be discovered. Books are nothing if they're not read and there's power there and this is the winter to do it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so thankful and proud to be a steward of books. And I just, I'm, I hope to get to, to be the age of Matt store one day. And this has just been a wonderful conversation. Well, I thank you all for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly. 
Christina Champa is the owner of the All She Wrote Bookstore in Assembly Square, Somerville. Kate Late is the owner of Paper Cuts in Jamaica Plain. And Matt Tannenbaum is the owner of The Bookstore in Lenox, Massachusetts. Coming up, when COVID-19 forced shutdowns in March, independent bookstores saw an immediate 8% overall drop in book sales from last year. But soon Americans returned to reading and buying books. However, some bookstores were forced to close before they could benefit from the uptick in sales. Others are still struggling to recover, scrambling to adapt so they can live to fight another day. That's next. This is a special one-hour edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Welcome back. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. It's our special December edition of Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club, Saving Bookstores. Maybe you've seen the national ad campaign called Don't Box Out Bookstores. It's an effort by the American Booksellers Association to encourage book lovers and bookstore supporters to buy independent, especially this holiday season. Earlier in the show, we heard from three local bookstore owners about how they are managing to survive. Now two guests who are working toward the long-term existence of independent bookstores. Joining me remotely, Alex Merriweather, General Manager, the Harvard Bookstore Cambridge. Hello, Alex. Hello, Kelly. Also with me, Sarah High, Partnerships Manager of Bookshop.org, a new national organization to bring together bookstores across the country. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Kelly. So I'm so glad to have both of you because you're both success stories. Alex, let me start with you. We've heard from local bookstores. Each of them had to use a GoFundMe to keep their doors open, frankly. And that's not something that you had to do at the Harvard bookstore. What was the secret or what, why were you a little bit more stable than some of your you know, fellow independent bookstore owners yeah, well, I would, I mean, certainly first say the continued support from our customers and community. Harvard Bookstore is such an institution. It's been in Harvard Square since since 1932. People don't necessarily realize that we're an independent bookstore not affiliated with the university. We like to say we're just very good friends. <laughs> They're our friends across, <laughs> the, across the street. The bookstore is, is a vital part of, of Harvard Square and the greater Cambridge community. So I think our customers view us that way and we're quick to respond in times when we have called out that it's been a struggle during these many months and many pivoting to different uh, ways of managing through this. One of the things that's come up that I have to say, I until doing the story, I, I wasn't clear about, is that the margins in most independent bookstores are quite slim. And secondarily to that, a lot of independent bookstores until COVID did not really rely on 
e-commerce very much. It was really in-person sales that were keeping them alive and sustainable. But the Harvard Bookstore has always had, from my understanding, a very thriving e-commerce business. So you didn't have to do any pivoting in that direction, it seems to me. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a great point. We've had Harvard.com running as an e-commerce platform for decades at, at this point, I think, um, certainly for the last 15 years. And while it was a, a pivot to have the majority of our team working as web booksellers, um, we did have a structure in place to handle and fulfill web orders uh, long before this. Mm-hmm. Um, is there one thing that you can think of now that is a, a definite difference from pre-COVID to now that you had to address? We primarily had one or two people handling all of the incoming web orders. Um, and it has really had to become a, a team effort in, in the same way that running a bookstore for the store pre-pandemic was open, I think, 96 hours a week, 9 a.m. to mm. 11 p.m. most days a week. It truly took a team of booksellers, managers, supervisors, um, all working together uh, just uh, to to successfully communicate to customers, to each other um, about keeping things running and the need for that with with web orders. Mm -hmm. That's my guest, Alex Merriweather. He's general manager of the Harvard Bookstore in Cambridge. That's an independent bookstore. And they have done very well. While other independent bookstores have been struggling, um, they're pretty stable. Let me go over now to you, Sarah. Hi, Partnerships Manager of Bookshop.org. That's a, a brand new entity that came into being in January pre-COVID. And of course, it turned out to be the right tool for the moment. Um, a brief explanation of how Bookshop.org works. Absolutely. So yes, that's right. We We launched on January 28th of this year, so we're not even a year old, which is pretty astounding. We were not anticipating COVID to hit us the way that it did, um, but we are really happy with how many stores we've been able to help throughout COVID and throughout the year. Um, but the way our site works is that we're a, an e-commerce platform and a B corporation, uh, and our main mission is to support local independent bookstores across the country. So we have over a thousand ABA bookstores on our site right now, and um, anyone can be an affiliate on our site, and at least 10% uh, of every sale on Bookshop goes to ABA bookstores across the country. Um, and Bookshop also functions as a way for bookstores to be able to have an e-commerce presence if they don't have one, and they can also use it alongside other e-commerce platforms they already have, um, and they earn 30% of the MSRP on every sale, which is pretty great for the the thin margins you were talking about earlier, Callie. Well, I would appreciate that more if I knew what the MSRP was. Yeah, it's just the, the <laughs> cover price of the book. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Sarah, what I have learned is that so many bookstores had no e-commerce presence, unlike Harvard Bookstore, that were, as Alex just explained, was on its way to even being more fit, you know, for this moment in time. Um, so, your presence uh, th as this organization that could allow them to continue to sell books but still maintain independence is, as some people have described this, revolutionary. Mm, thank you. Yeah, we, we're really proud of how we've been able to help, again, bookstores who haven't been able to offer any online sales. 
we help those stores. And then we also help stores like Alex's, who is on, on Bookshop as well, to just have a supplementary tool to be able to offer another place for, for customers to be able to source their books. So one of the things that is very important to the success of independent bookstores is really the personality of the store. And something that I think that you've managed to do with Bookshop is not crush that in that space, because you could easily be just a sort of a long list and, you know, there you have it. So talk to us a little bit about how you've managed to be an umbrella organization for all of these independent bookstores to provide them this service that many of them did not have, but at the same time allow them to, to keep their individuality. That's such a great question, Kelly. So any store can set up a, a page with us and have that, as you said, sort of customized, you know, familiar looking space where they can have a banner image, an icon image. They can add links to their bio. They can put in their bookshop bio, you know, we're open nine to 11 or here's our store's address. Um, they can really add as much customization as they'd like, but also with their book list, which is really amazing. So that's really the bread and butter of bookshop pages is these amazing, you know, staff picks or, or themed book lists that, that, bookstores can really go crazy with customization. So um, when you're on Bookshop, you can see that you're clearly on Bookshop. Every top left corner will say Powered by Bookshop. But above that Powered by Bookshop, you'll see which store you're supporting. So if you want to support Harvard's, you can look on the map, you can search by um, zip code, or you can search in the search bar and go over to shop results, and you can have that you know, customized store that you're supporting on Bookshop. How important is that, Alex, that you maintain your presence, your special presence among all these other stores? Well, early on in the pandemic, when we were in full shutdown mode, we actually turned all of our e-commerce. We had it all flow through our bookshop page. Um, our, our website was set up in a way that we could kind of hook up the the displays and lists and featured book pages on harvard.com to the bookshop uh, e-commerce platform in this landscape of consolidation having a bookshop as a as another player um, is important and we wanted to make sure that folks could find us us there as well as on our our website so, Sarah, initially I read that in the first two weeks of Bookshop's existence, you sold 41,000 books, and I don't know how many bookstores you had initially and how many you have now. Can you update us? Absolutely. We started with about, about 115 bookstores, and right now on our platform we have 1,007 stores, which is a pretty astounding leap. So that's just in, again, under a year of us being live. I would say one of the things that showed up is when the independent bookstore campaign, just to let people know, hey, we're here, we exist, support us, coupled with the events this summer right after George Floyd's death. So a lot of Black-owned bookstores, of course, got a, a, quite a bit of attention because people wanted to go there to buy books around race and equity. And other bookstores, too, were besieged with requests for these books. So that caused a back order everywhere. And, and uh, you know, these small uh, stores were trying to do the best they could to get out the orders. Some of that, Sarah, was met with a little negative customer feedback from people who were uh, accustomed to working with 
Amazon. And I just wanted you to take a listen to this is Clarissa and Leonard Edgerton. They're co-owners of Boston's Frugal Bookstore here in Roxbury's Nubian Square. And they were describing some of the negative customer feedback. But we still received a lot of flack because we couldn't get them the books quick enough. And we received um, some very unfortunate emails telling us we was doing poor business. Um, Customer service wasn't um, wasn't good. You know, we received yeah. hundreds and hundreds of emails a day. Um, and I, the reason I wanted to play that is because that's one of the issues that Bookshop was trying to address, even though you're still battling with the same book orders, but you're trying to be very systematic about trying to eliminate as much of the back ordering and delays as possible. That's right. Yeah. So we did we did face some similar challenges, exactly, um, especially because George Floyd's death and the Black Lives Matter movement really just went through the roof and was so excitingly, you know, everywhere. Um, and we wanted to get these anti-racist books in the hands of customers, but we were also barely, you know, four months old. So um, we had barely had enough customer service people to handle all of the customer service emails. And we have since really gotten on top of our customer service emails and, and have helped with that backlog. But at that time, it was just such a, I mean, unfortunately, it was just a, a very um, busy time. And, and the publishing industry was not anticipating the demand of anti-racist books. And from both of you, it's, however, in many instances, and even with uh, uh, Frugal Bookstore, many other customers were very patient because they wanted to support the mission of the independent bookstores. They just had made a decision, we're going to be committed to this. Um, how did you see that uh, work out in your revenue, Alex, uh, that kind of support? In mid-October, sales were still down significantly compared to any period pr prior to all of this. Um, and, and we were closed for, uh, I think, almost two months. Limited capacities in the store, um, all, of the, all of these challenges that, that everyone is facing. One of the services and um, associations our community has with Harvard Bookstore is our author events. We traditionally do over 300 author events and signings a year. Taking those out of, out of the equation for the business and taking those longer hours, we, we just ha weren't able to sustain the, um, the longer hours uh, that we had pre-pandemic. All, all has an impact. So laying this out in, in a letter from our owners uh, in October, we had a huge, a huge response, which was like really quite remarkable. We, we didn't know what to expect. This was followed by our annual sale soon after. And it was a similar experience the, to all of the booksellers we're talking about here. Um, mm -hmm. Were you excited about that, that kind of response from your customers? Absolutely. Like they got it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, but then it, it does come with the challenges of one. I, I mean, we we are a customer service business. Um, that's 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 who we are, and so to have a huge influx of orders and to give everything the care that that they deserve uh, is a challenge. It's it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you you need that support. I just want to point out that the boxed out campaign that the American Booksellers Association launched was on the same day as Amazon Prime Day, which this year was October thirteenth and fourteenth. That was pointed 
so that people had a choice, <laughs> you know, to support uh, independent bookstores. Something else I don't think everybody may understand, Sarah, is that prior to this, the number of independent bookstores was actually growing and that independent bookstores had been successful in not only uh, surviving, but thriving even after the big box stores like Borders and Barnes and Noble were, you know, doing quite a bit of damage. But they hung in there. They were still, and people kept coming because they wanted the, the specialized service. And then you get COVID, and it requires something else. Um, so, Sarah, from your perspective, what did you hear from the folks that were coming and coming? more to bookshop during this time, as they obviously had to make a commitment to not choosing Amazon. Yeah, of course. So from the the bookseller's perspective, so many of them were closed in March, at least for a month, if not two, if not more than that. And so they needed a way to be able to offer books and customer service online. And for customers, the bookshop customer we try to target is not someone who's going to their indie first, because we want to make sure those people stay going to their indies first. Uh, The bookshop customer is rather the customer who's shopping on Amazon and subconsciously knows that this is not the most sustainable way to buy a book online. It's really undermining the book industry and the local independent bookstore. So bookshop is really for those customers who know that they want to shop online, but maybe don't have an indie near them, or maybe, you know, need a a bit of an extra push to learn how to shop local. Um, And so we, we really try to target to those customers who are shopping on Amazon to try to take some of their market because they are such a a dominant force on the market. Uh, We've seen their e-commerce numbers go from, I believe it was 13% in early 2010s into now it's, you know, more than 50% of the market as of 2019. So, wow. Yeah. It's pretty astounding numbers. And so we're really trying to have a, a unified umbrella force against Amazon. If you're just tuning in, this is a special one-hour edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar book club. I'm Callie Crossley, and my guests are Alex Merriweather, general manager of the Harvard Bookstore, and Sarah High, partnerships manager of bookshop.org. We're talking about efforts to support independent bookstores. So, Sarah, I was on a Zoom conversation last night, and a book was a part of the conversation, and the organizer said, you know, here, look in the chat, and you can see where you can order the book. And immediately, someone else wrote, I don't want to buy that from Amazon. (laughs) That's so great to hear. And they immediately responded with, here is a link to bookshop.org. So, it's working. That's so good to hear. <laughs> so I just wanted to let you know that that, that, that I thought, wow, this is like in real time. I'm watching this. Uh, oh, <laughs> I love to hear that. That's amazing. <laughs> let me just make the point that you're a partnerships manager because there are partnerships with the New York Times, with Condé Nast, with the New Yorker. And how does that work? What do you what happens with those partners in terms of supporting bookshop.org? Anyone can be an affiliate on Bookshop. Similarly to um, anyone can be an affiliate on Amazon, meaning you can earn affiliate revenue on each sale that passes through your Bookshop page. So the New York Times, Condé Nast, you know, The Atlantic have all affiliate pages with us uh, and they earn 10% affiliate revenue on any of their sales on on Bookshop, which is double Amazon's 4.5%, which we're very proud of. But anyway, so so those affiliates can be on, on Bookshop, link out to us, earn money on each of those sales and any any sales that come through their, their tag on Bookshop. And another 10% of all of those sales 
from the New Yorker, New York Times, whoever goes to the um, profit share pool on bookshops. So Alex in the Harvard bookstore is one of the over a thousand bookstores in the profit share pool, which is just basically those dividends of 10% of all the non-bookstore sales on bookshops. So not only, Kelly, are the, the bookstores making 30% of the, the cover price of every book on bookshop, they're also getting a check from us, which is well over $1,000 every six months from this profit share pool. So that's really how we proudly try to support bookstores as best and as, as much as we can. Alex, what do you want people to know uh, now that uh, we're in the the thick of a campaign that started in October called uh, October is the New December, trying to get people to buy their books early and and continue buying them and for the holiday season? Um, How's that going for you? Are you feeling confident during this holiday season? Yeah, we've been definitely messaging October is the new December and then November is the the new December. And (laughs) and now is now now the message is shop now shop now. We've had quite strong sales since Thanksgiving, but we are in a a really critical window for small businesses right now. And we are getting close to that deadline where we're going to need to start shipping out your packages if you want to get them uh, in time for the holidays. Some tips to, to support stores, bookstores during this time. Uh, gift cards are a fantastic last-minute gift. You can create a wish list uh, on your favorite bookstore's website. Uh, we offer wish lists. And I would also just really say shop their recommended books. Shop the books that they are featuring. These are books that uh, they stand behind, and these are books that they've stocked up on. This has been a tricky time for publishers and book retailers of all sorts uh, keeping uh, certain titles in stock. And we, we were told all throughout the fall that as we were getting close to the new year, that um, certain titles would probably be out of stock and they wouldn't be able to reprint them before the holidays. So we've stocked up on our holiday hundred list of books that we're recommending and all bookstores are, are, are featuring books. And that's a great way you can support them is to, to, to buy the ones that they, that they're putting out there. Okay, good. Sarah, I'm going to ask you the same question. Is the goal to have gathered together many Davids to take down Goliath or is the goal something else? I I think we're definitely a David and Goliath story. Um, And I love the metaphor you just pointed out, Callie, of having multiple Davids, you know, over a thousand bookstore Davids on our site to combat the Goliath of Amazon. And I really love what Alex, you know, detailed for us of how to support your local independent bookstore. It's really important to go into the store if you can, get a gift card if your favorite title is sold out, shop the recommended bestsellers. The shelf talkers and the staff picks are really curated and amazing and booksellers really are passionate about those titles. Um, So make sure that you always ask your local bookstore how you can best support them, especially during the holidays. Um, You know, the fourth quarter of their financial year is really, really important to support them. And books make the best holiday gifts. So, you know, we're actually working on a promotional video on Bookshop side that we're going to be releasing in about a week uh, that basically the message is how do you best support your local bookstore? Just ask them and then shop local as much as you can. And if you at first can't get to your local bookstore, shop on Bookshop and try to find your your bookstore there. Mm. Sarah, do you think, as I've heard from people in other arenas, that COVID has permanently made some changes? In other words, when we come back to the new normal, whatever that is, that there will be some 
features of the adaptation that businesses have are now implementing that will continue. Do you see that? And and if so, what would be the number one thing that you think will continue no matter if we're out of COVID or, or not? COVID has pointed out how technologically saturated our world is and how online we are and we've become you know more and more online because of COVID. So I do think that people are going to continue to shop online. So Bookshop is a really great way for stores to be able to have an e-commerce presence where they wouldn't maybe have otherwise had one. It's completely free for stores to sign up and sell books on Bookshop. And I do think it's going to be increasing in the future. Online shopping is not going to go away. And I think having a strong e-commerce platform is really important. Mm. Alex, do you have something to add to that? I think we're we're learning what digital tools we can use to not not exactly mimic, but like reinforce the things that make books bookstores so special, like the conversations you have with a bookseller, the discovery of coming across a new book when you're browsing uh, a book when you're browsing that you wouldn't have come across before. Uh, I think we've been grappling with how can we bring those experiences to our customers right now. And through social media, through dis- displays on our website that mimic displays that are in the store. I mean, these are things we've been doing all along and we're doing long before COVID, but um, I think just showcased how, how important it is to bring our in-person personality to our online platforms. And having said that, Alex, you're going to get the last word in this way. When I shopped in person at the Harvard bookstore, there's a shelf with all the staff picks of of the books that they are promoting. What's your staff pick right now? Uh, I am reading the new essay collection by Lindy West, which I can't actually say the name of it on the radio. Okay. But um, (laughs) I will. (laughs) If you know Lindy West, you know Uh, why. (laughs) And Uh their essays about movies and then in the introduction, she talks about what like a catharsis it has been in this COVID era that to uh, write and complete this book which uh, she compares the essays to the experience of uh, talking about your favorite movies with your friends. And that's not something we're doing right now. Um, So Lindy West is there for you to uh, talk to you about how much she loves The Fugitive. Okay. Well, I love it. Uh, I appreciate both of you uh, talking to me today to provide some insight into the whole campaign to save independent bookstores. And I know we're going to be successful in the end. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. Alex Merriweather is the general manager of the Harvard Bookstore in Cambridge. Sarah High is the partnerships manager of Bookshop.org, a new national organization bringing together bookstores across the country. That's it for this one-hour edition of Bookmarked, the under-the-radar book club saving bookstores. We're on the web at wgbh.org, news under the radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubeli and engineered by Dave Goodman. Kate Dario is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.